Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Um, but because this is just like a volunteer appreciation breakfast, anyone that has served in the past, anyone that's served one time or you're thinking about serving, come on out. We just want to celebrate what God has done in this last year and what he's going to do and cast a little vision. we got some games planned. We've got some prizes and giveaways. It's going to be fun. And again, that's Saturday, April 21st uh, from 9 to 10.30 a.m. And so again, breakfast is included. And we'd love for you to come out. And if you're going to come, just let us know again at the welcome desk. You can sign up for that and uh, just come out and hang out with us for an hour and a half or so. But today begins our series called Identity. And if you'd welcome Pastor Paul, he'll come out today. Thanks. Well, thank you and good morning, everyone. It's a great day to be in church, and uh, we want to just take a moment and welcome. We have a lot of Facebook Live listeners, and we have people who regularly listen to us in Alaska, Germany, Botswana, Africa, Kentucky, and a bunch of other states. Would you just give them a hand and say good morning? All right. So welcome to church, everybody. We're excited to be here and excited about all the announcements which we just heard about. Those are really neat things to be a part of in our future. This morning, it'll be my privilege to open up our series for this month. And so I'm just going to take a moment or two and uh, try to get you ready for where we're going to be going. Uh, We're calling this series Identity. Identity. And in this series, we're going to be looking at how important it is that we see God for who he really is. We're going to be looking at understanding the identity of Jesus and what that does in our life. On a practical and applying level, we're going to be looking through the book of Hebrews in your New Testament. So we're going to try to connect the concept of discovering and understanding the identity of Jesus and the book of Hebrews and why those two thoughts work together. That the book of Hebrews really is a focus on the identity of Jesus and coming at it from a different angle than we're used to. But we're also going to be talking about present day, what it means for us to understand who Jesus really is. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I love the, the book of Hebrews and uh, I hope that you'll take some time during this month. We'll be going at different angles and looking at some of the major truths that we'd like to apply from this book. I hope you'll take some time to read through the book of Hebrews unless you think, you know, well, this is really hard. It's 13 chapters. They're not long. It's fairly direct and it's a, it's a beautiful New Testament book to understand and appreciate Jesus. So we hope you'll do that through this month of April as we're beginning today. And speaking of today, would you join me just now as we pray? And every time we pray and I preach, I'm praying that God takes these next moments and makes it a real conversation with him where we're listening, he's talking, the whole thing works together and all of us can experience his communication. Would you join me in that prayer please? 
Today, Father, we humble our hearts before you. We ask you to help us. As we open up this wonderful study of this book, we pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would use these moments to communicate with us. I pray that in our minds and in our hearts, you would make your truth real, that you would lift us and elevate us to the place you want us to occupy, that you would open our ears and understanding so we would really hear what you say. And please, Lord, above any limitations and inabilities I have, communicate with your people this message in Jesus' name. And if you can agree, say amen. Amen. The identity of Jesus. Why is it important that we discover it? Why should we even talk about it? And the answer to that is, uh, as we think, this last month we celebrated Jesus in what he has done. That he became our ransom. We remember Good Friday and we celebrated last Sunday his resurrection which opened heaven for us. We are often focused as Christians about what Jesus has done. What we want to look at right now is who he really is and hopefully answer a question as to why that is so important in our lives, his true identity. Perhaps some of you have the unfortunate experience that we have, but uh, I'm going to describe a, a quick experience that we had in our lives that has to do with identity that was not a good experience. Actually, we've had a couple, my wife just reminded me. And uh, one of them was I was called one day by someone that uh, worked for the IRS. And I can't remember the name of the branch of the bureau that they work for, but it was a very nice lady who, after a long, fairly detailed conversation, let me know that someone had uh, stolen my identity and uh, had used our identity to file a tax return and get a refund. And uh, she said, this really flagged us because typically you file late and have to pay taxes, which I thought, well, there you have it. Yes, that's true. And so this person applied right on time and got a refund. And we, re we started looking and comparing addresses and profiles. And we were very concerned because it doesn't seem to match you. Well, the true story is we hadn't applied early and we do always have to pay. And it's, it just is the way it was. So we were very concerned uh, that our identity was stolen. So from now on, every time we deal with the IRS, we have to have a special number that goes back to a proof of identification. We also had our credit card company call me one day and asked a bunch of questions. And when I ascertained that it really wasn't a salesman, they started asking some of the same concerning questions. Uh, do you live on this address? Yes. Can you verify who you are? And all these questions. Then the telling questions. Have you ever lived in Alabama? Uh, no. Have you ever lived in Mississippi? No. Are you aware that you have applied for and succeeded in getting credit card accounts in addresses both in Mississippi and in Alabama and that you've charged thousands of dollars of goods to those credit cards? No. Anyway, long story short, we were the victim of identity theft again. 
thankfully, in both cases, uh, by God's grace and through the help of genuinely helpful people, uh, we, we were not held liable for any of those. We didn't have to pay for things that we didn't buy. And the worst of it was the inconvenience of now, anytime I deal with a credit card or a credit bureau or the IRS, uh, there's a long list of questions. Like I remember once we applied for something and uh, <laughs> I get a call as I'm driving. This is to prove who you are. Do you remember who your first grade teacher's name was? What was your pet in the third grade? And there's like 12, and I'm thinking, I'm driving a car. I, I, I have to, anyway, it's inconvenient, but the worst of it for us was just that. But identity theft is a very real problem. And what we want to look at this morning as we open up this book of Hebrews is that there is a spiritual struggle that we know we're all engaged in. All of us, like Peter on the night of the Last Supper, we want to do what's right. The spirit is willing but our flesh is weak. All of us are engaged in following Jesus after resurrection, and we want to do the right thing, and we want to follow God and experience his fullness. But there's an enemy to our soul that wants, to do, wants the outcome to be just the opposite. He wants our lives to be discouraged and to turn away from God. And in order to do that, I submit to you that one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to mimic or defame the identity of Jesus. So that with the Jesus that we say we're following will be far less than the Jesus that really is. And this morning as we open up the book of Hebrews, that's going to be our setting. The real identity of Jesus, our Savior. So our series is going to be on this book of Hebrews, and I hope you'll permit me just this first week to give you just a little bit of background on this book, who it was written to, why, and what it means to us. And I'll be quick. The book of Hebrews was written in the first century to a group of Jewish people who were now believers in Jesus. It was written during what is called the Second Persecution. The second persecution of the first century. The first one was when the emperor Claudius had all the Christians expelled from the empire. Which of course didn't work so very well. But they lost their homes, their property. Some of them were killed. Mostly their loss was everything they owned. And they had to leave and, and become basically homeless and transient. The second persecution which was going on during the time of the writing of Hebrews. Was the emperor Nero. Nero the infamous a sadistic emperor, really. During this time, this second persecution, Nero was not expelling Christians, he was killing them. As a matter of fact, history records that for a great period of time during this persecution, the emperor had his palace grounds, as far as you could see, lit every night by burning Christians at the stake. And so it was not an uncommon thing, historians tell us, for believers that lived in Rome to be hunted, to have a soldier finding them, asking if they're a Christian, will, are you sure, are you a follower of Jesus? And when they would not deny it, they would be hauled off to be used as a human torch tonight to light the palace of a sadistic emperor. That was the persecution that happened as the book of Hebrews was written. Now, a little more background. Who was it written to? These people were Jewish, unlike most of us. They had a Jewish background that was really important because they were Jewish before they were Christians. 
And their Jewish faith was very real to them, and they understood that it was the real religion. It connected them with the real God. And then somewhere in the middle of their understanding of their Jewish faith, they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, and the Savior of the world. And these Jews, these Hebrews, accepted this Jesus to be their Savior. So they were familiar with Judaism, newer to Christianity. And that's very important because what was about to happen is under this great persecution of Nero, there was a lot of pressure being exerted on these Christians, as you can imagine. Most of us don't have to decide whether our faith means living or dying. It usually, following our faith real seriously, might mean giving up a convenience or some financial gain, but not being burned at a stake. These Christians were being asked to make some very real decisions, very important decisions about how valuable their faith in Jesus was. Now here's the temptation for them and the launching pad for us. The temptation for these Jewish Christians in Rome was maybe this Jesus thing is not that big of a deal. After all, we are Jewish. We do have God. They weren't pagans. They, they, they believed in God. They believed in the God of the Bible. They believed the, the scripture. They tried to serve God. They were trying to do the right thing. And now, Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe we can just sort of fade back into the background and just be Jewish. Now, the Romans didn't like Jews that much, but they weren't burning them alive at that time. It was one specific thing which got you in trouble with the emperor Nero. Who do you say Jesus is? Are you a Jesus follower? Are you a Christian? And if you are, away you go. So the temptation was what? Let's fade back into our background. Let's be secret Christians. Maybe we'll secretly say, yes, of course, yes, we believe in Jesus, but we're Jewish. And some of them were probably reconsidering, is Jesus really worth it? Is he really that big of a deal? Is he really that important? So yes, he's the Messiah. I, I just came from Israel. We came from Israel a few weeks back. Uh, the, the Jewish concept of a Messiah varies quite a bit. Some Jews believe that the Messiah would be a military sort of a political leader which would restore Israel to its place as a nation. Some of them believed he'd be a spiritual leader that would be a great teacher. Some of them believed he was God's savior come to save them. But many of these Hebrews could have very simply decided that if it's going to cost me my life, uh, yes, I believe in Jesus, but... but not gonna there's a lot at stake here it was precisely for that reason that this letter was written it was written to those people who valued their Jewish religion and saw Jesus as an extension of it and really did believe but were tempted to withdraw in order to appease the, the forces around them and this letter was to say before you withdraw you should know who Jesus really is. Before you give up 
and determine that your life is more valuable than your faith, you better find out who Jesus really is. Because if you know who he really is, you'll know that he's worth it all. You'll know that he's worth it all. And that's the setting. So chapter by chapter, verse by verse, this writer opens up this subject and begins to write, comparing Jesus with everything those Jews valued. Comparing Jesus with angels. Comparing Jesus with Moses. Comparing Jesus with the priesthood. Comparing Jesus with the sacrifice. Comparing Jesus with the temple. Comparing Jesus with Mount Sinai and the God who wrote in stone. One by one, these comparisons were made. And everyone screams out for all time and for all people, Jesus is God. He's greater than, more powerful than, more important than, the fulfillment of all that you hope for in one person. He is God in flesh. And therefore, whatever it is that you're being asked to surrender in order to keep his faith, he is worth it. If you believe that, could you say amen? amen. He is worth it for us today. And that's the setting of this book. So when you start reading the book of Hebrews and you think, well, I don't understand, that's the understanding. That's why you have references in there where it says, in the past, you joyfully allowed all of your goods to be stolen and you lost all of your property. What did that refer to? That first persecution where they were chased out. He said, now for many of you there is a fiery trial awaiting. What do you think that's a reference of? Nero's lighting system. And all of these things end with this great verse. Let us therefore hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Hold our faith until the end. This book was that written for that reason. This morning, I want to give just a little spiritual thought before we read the opening scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, which will be our, our message today. And here's the spiritual thought. The background for the Hebrews I just gave you. I think there's a spiritual background for a lot of us today. We're not being asked to give up our lives. But frankly, if we really believe what we celebrated last week, I mean, we, we believe it, I know we do. If we really believe that this Jesus, this God in flesh was crucified, buried, and that he came bursting out of that tomb alive from the dead, then we have to believe that whatever he asks of us, he's worth it all. Are you following me? I mean, if, if we really believe that, and I know we do. I'm, I'm not saying you don't. I know we believe it. But if we really do believe it, th then we have to believe that he's worth it all. And the enemy of our soul is going to bring other influences to our life. Just like he did to those Hebrews in Rome. And it might not be a stake. And it might not be an emperor's sword. But it might be busyness. It might be 
friends and peer pressure who feel like, make you feel like you're going to get rejected if you stand up for Jesus. It might be your work environment that you're afraid that you're going to stand out and you're going to miss a promotion or you're going to lose something. It might be the fact that, that you feel like God's asking you to do something or give something or sacrifice something and all of those pressures around you start weighing on the balance of, well, I, yeah, I, of course I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Of course I believe he's alive, but but you know, I got all these other things to consider and there, there's a lot of life here on this scale and pretty soon we have an equal scale. Our life, Jesus. I'm hoping that this book of Hebrews elevates that scale so we see Jesus is worth it all. Can you say amen? I'm hoping that that's what we can do because I think the devil wants to pull off an identity theft. I think he would love us to see Jesus as less than he is. So we could be more comfortable fading into the background of the life we used to have. Because the truth is, no amount of scolding your behavior is really going to change you. And you know that that's true. What really changes us is an encounter with Jesus who is God. Who burns his imprint of his character in our heart. And changes our conscience. And renews our mind. And makes us abhor what we used to be. And run toward what we can be. How many of you know that this Jesus is the real reason why people change? And that's where we want to go. So this morning... I'm going to ask you to read with me this opening section. And this will set the course for the whole rest of the book. The identity of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll read the first three verses. We'll read it through and then we'll go back and comment. The identity, the real identity of Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, we celebrated last week, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the opening statement of the book. This is the course setting of our faith. This is the true identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he's, he's a nice guy. He's a savior. Yes. Who is Jesus? Here it is. The true identity revealed about him. And as we think about the theme of this book, it's very simple for these Hebrews. God spoke then. That's what it starts out. Long ago, many ways, through prophets and through other people, God spoke through our fathers. That's the Jewish religion. All in one sentence. God revealing himself to the human race. To the Jewish people. We call it the Old Testament. He revealed his ways. He revealed his character. He revealed his truth. And that revelation was true and not to be corrected. We should understand that. The, the revelation of God to the Jewish people was not wrong. And Jesus came to make it right. It was right. It just wasn't 
the fullness of all that was right. Are you following me? It's important. So God spoke in those times in that way, but then he said, now God spoke again. God spoke one last time, and this sentence has an exclamation point. And that exclamation point is the resurrection from the dead. Because when God spoke now, he didn't just write in stone like he did with Moses. He didn't just show a vision like he did with Ezekiel. He didn't just speak a word like he did through Samuel or Isaiah. When God spoke through Jesus, he came in person to this planet. And he said, here I am. He didn't give us a message. He is the message. He came in person. And this writer is saying what you're about to learn about Jesus trumps everything else that he said. It doesn't correct it because it was wrong. It fulfills it because it was partial. Are you following me? All of that is important. Now, God spoke to them. God spoke to us. Now, one last thing. This, this was a given for them. The Jews understood how important it was when God spoke. I mean, I think we'd get the message too. You know, if your pastor went up for a mountain 40 days and he came down and his face is glowing white like bright light and he's got these two stones that were carved with the finger of God in the stone. You'd probably figure out pretty important stuff on those stones. Wouldn't you figure it out? The Jews got that. They knew that when God spoke, it's really important. What he's saying is if God speaking then was important, what Jesus is, is far more important. But I'm afraid today, we have a Jesus identity crisis. We have a Jesus that we want him to be. We have a Jesus that other people want him to be. And the danger is that we will lose out on all that he has for us. If somebody had to ask, if somebody asked you today and you had to come up with an answer, what's the most important thing about your life? I don't want you to think terribly spiritual. You know, maybe you're thinking something unique, you know. What's the most important thing about your life? Maybe that you, you've hit uh, two holes in one on the golf course. You think, that's pretty unique. Maybe you can, you're a man and you can lift an enormous amount of weight. Maybe you're a woman that has great skill. Maybe you, the most important part of your life, you would say, is your family. But I would submit to you today that whether you appreciate it or not, the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus Christ. The most important thing. More important than anything else. How you look, where you live, how much money you have. Because what you believe about Jesus Christ will either elevate you <clears throat> to his level or will lower you to the basest experience of mankind what you believe about Jesus. So what does this scripture say to us? Then, here's what it says. Two, two things. Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. Everyone say the radiance. Radiance of God's glory is like the light from the light bulb. When you turn the, the electricity on in a light bulb, you have a light apparatus that's producing light, and then you have the light that's produced by the apparatus, and the light and the light source are the same. 
The problem is, the, light, or the difference is, the light source can be a distance away from you. The light you can experience up close. Here's a description of Jesus. He is the perfect, visible image of an invisible God. I want you to think about that. There is a God in heaven. Everyone here would probably believe that. And there is a God who rules over all the universe. When we read these scriptures, you're not arguing. But we don't see him. We don't, we don't get to, you know, he's there in an invisible world. And my world, very real world, bills, problems, family issues, sickness, trouble, busy life. Where is God? Jesus was God in visible form. Are you following? He, he came as the same God, but he came into a human form. He's visible God. He's visible version of an invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Secondly, it says that he is the exact imprint of his what? Character. The exact imprint of his character. An imprint, and, and the word comes from a minting word that, that's used for making coins, or, you know, we would say a mold, but it, more important than that, it, you know, people can inspect coins very carefully for small things that would keep, you know, counterfeiters from reproducing money illegally. Jesus, it said, is the exact imprint of God's character. There's no flaws. You could look at Jesus in character, compare him to the invisible God, and you would come up with they're one and the same. They're an exact match. The character of Jesus is the character of God. The, the visible expression of Jesus is just as if God were here in person. And that's what he starts this whole book out with. This is who we're dealing with. This Jesus with the sandals and the robe and, and the multiplying of fish and, and the sitting around the campfire and singing kumbaya or whatever else we, we picture Jesus to be, that's who he is. The visible expression of an invisible God. The exact imprint of his character. Now, let me build one more thought on that. As God revealed himself to the Jewish people, he did two things he revealed himself now how many of you have read through at least some of our bible reading plan on the the bible app on your phones or computers some of you have and 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 I I enjoy it too I, I sometimes read other things because I get I get anxious and I want to read in other places but I follow along with the bible plan and if you've been following along with our bible plan you know that we just finished Deuteronomy and you also know that we just got through with Leviticus and Numbers and then Deuteronomy and occasionally I got some pretty fun questions from people as they've read for the first time Leviticus and Numbers and they're thinking you know pastor does this make sense because there's a lot of rules in there about things like where to dig a latrine and what you can eat and what you can't eat and what how many of you follow you you don't have to just like whoa what's all this I thought God was concerned about dying for our sins and that's all that mattered let me explain when God revealed himself to Abraham and then the Jewish people, he was doing more than just giving them rules. You see, every God up until that time, and even coincentric with that time, every God other than the true God of the Bible was a creation of man for their own convenience and pleasure. 
The gods, the pagan gods of the Canaanites of the day, you know what they were? They were gods to give rain in their season and fertility and pleasure to their people. Those gods were not gods at all. They were the creation of people that wanted, I want good crops, I want a prosperous farm, I need a God who's going to give me what I want. You following me? So they had these idol gods and they sacrificed to them, do whatever it takes to try to get what? A good life for me. Or whatever I need him to be. What never happened was a connection with their gods and moral living. That, had, that was never a connection. Can live how you want. As long as you do the sacrifices, that God's going to bless you with what you want. When God comes to the earth, he said, I have to reveal to you who I am. And who I am is going to require you to see that there's both good and evil in this world. I want you to shun the evil and live the good. Are you following me? That was the first. We go back at it and go, wow, that, yeah, that's obvious. It wasn't obvious until then. So all those little details of the law were ways to create a culture that would live differently than all those pagan idol followers, okay? Why is that important? Because in that revelation, God revealed his character. And Jesus is the exact imprint of it. Two words describe his character. The first one is important, and you'll get it. I don't like it, but I, I'm going to use it for a good reason. Here's the word to describe God. He is good. Everyone say, he is good. You say, Pastor, why don't I like it? Because of the connotation in our, in, in our modern society is he's good because I get everything I want. He's good because I got a raise at work. I got a tax refund. I got a good report from the doctor. He said, I'm in better health than I thought I was. Our family's getting along. Weather is way too cold. No, weather is good. God is good all the time. But what if something happens that I don't like? Is he still good? Of course he is. So good has to be deeper than just our experience. I, something good happened to me. God is good. God is bigger good. He's more good than that. When we say that God is good, it describes his character. And there are two things about the character of God, the goodness of God, that are really important. And that is, he is just. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because this is the Jesus we're talking about. He's just. Now, when we think of justice, maybe you think of a, a gavel hitting a, a wood block and you guilty and you think, oh no, but... Justice is a good thing, right? Suffering injustice, would you agree, is a bad thing, right? Injustice is bad. Justice is good. God is supremely just. He's supremely right. There is no wrong, no bending, no, well, for you this, for you that. He's just. That's at the core of his being. That is reflected through all those Old Testament scriptures and those things that don't seem to make sense, all those laws. He's just. One other thing that makes him good is he's merciful. He's just and he's merciful. You do realize that both are really important. <laughs> both are really important. Just is really important because if he's not just, maybe he's got favorites. Maybe bad guy's going to be in heaven and you're going to get thrown into hell just because he doesn't like you. Or maybe he doesn't like where you're from. No, that's unjust. 
He's just. He can be trusted. But if he's just just, and we break his commandments, then we're in a heap of trouble because justice also demands that he punish our unjust, unjust action. Jesus was good. He was the exact representation, the exact image of his character. He was just and he was merciful. It's important that we see that. Last month we had a sermon that was a great sermon that I think is the best story illustrating this in the Bible. It's the story of a woman who was caught in an act of adultery. And they, they found her and they brought her before Jesus and they had a mob of people there prepared to stone her. That was the just response for her sin. It was written in the Bible. The adulterer. She had hurt other people, hurt herself, violated the law of God, and broken the covenants of her family. So justice demand that she be punished. They brought her before Jesus. You remember. And they quoted. They said, Master, Moses and the law commands that this woman be stoned to death. But what do you say? You remember what he said? He didn't say, come on, guys, that's mean. Are you crazy stoning people? What kind of a God do you think I am? How many of you know that's not what he said? You know what he said? Two words, you're right. They were right. Justice demanded it. He didn't violate justice. He said, you're right. She should be stoned. Okay. So now what? Well, here's what I say. You want to know what Moses said? You're right. Here's what I say. Stoner. But the witnesses should be without sin of their own. Witnesses? Witnesses were this. Stoning could be a mob of angry people killing somebody just out of anger. But God set up this so that that couldn't happen. In order for the stones to fly, there were people gathering them in their hands. But before they could be thrown, one person had to pick up one stone, hold it up to God, and say, I swear by Almighty God that this person to whom I will throw this stone is worthy of death for this crime. And then while looking them in the eyes, you throw that stone at them. One. Remember Jesus said by the mouth of two witnesses, let every, that, that, that's where that came from. The second witness had to pick up a stone and say, same thing. And then throw. Once the two stones went, then the mob entered. So what did Jesus say? Whoever's going to throw the first one, you're right, stoner. That's justice. Just make sure I want to I'd like to hear your account of your own moral and spiritual life. Before you witness against her, what are you? Do you see what he did? Justice and mercy. And all the stones fell to the ground, as we know. Why? Because their conscience. Pretty hard to look somebody in the eye and throw a stone at them, lying, saying, I, I, I'm good. The stones fell to the ground. Everyone left. Guess who didn't leave? Jesus. He didn't have any sin. He could have stoned her and said, neither do I condemn you. Go, but sin no more. Justice, mercy. God's character is good. Everyone say he is good. 
That's what it means when we say God is good. Does he do good things to us? Of course he does. But those good things to us are often relative. Justice and mercy are universal traits of his character. And that's Jesus. Secondly, he is creator of all things. He is the creator of all. Now that's referred to twice in the passage that we read in Hebrews and we're going to read another one in just a moment as we conclude. He is the creator of all things. Now that's pretty important. Because remember we're talking about identity, the real identity. We're talking about what could be stolen from an identity. And I think this happens all the time with us. I think that we make God our friend. Now, now understandable that God, by his mercy, extended friendship to humanity. By becoming a human being, Jesus said, a relationship with God as a friend can be had. However, the parties are not peers and equals. You following me? We can be friends with God because he extended a hand of friendship. But once we take his hand of friendship, we're not just buds on an equal level. Are, are you following where I'm going? And that's really important because here's how friendships with peers work. You're my friend. I drive home from church. I have a flat tire. I can't fix it because of whatever reason. I call you on the phone. Hey, uh, you know, Tom, can you come and help me? I'm stranded on the road here, my tire, and I, you know, my wife, I need some help. Can you come and help me? Oh, sure. I'll be right there, Paul. I'll, I'll, I've got, you know, I'll, I'll take care of you. And I'm waiting there. And I wait there an hour. I'm out in the country. Wait there another hour. Phone goes dead. Can't call anybody else. Three and a half hours later, you show up. And you got a lemonade in your hand, and you got, you know, subway wrappers, you think. Say, and I say, well, uh, where have you been? I don't know. I was just hanging out for a while. I got some subway, and hey, I was, you know, watching some TV. And what would I say? I'd be like, hey, I counted on you. You said you'd be here to help me change my tire, right? Where, I, you're a friend. Come on. You know, what, what were you doing? You let me down. And that's how we relate to God. God, I got some trouble here. We're friends. Hey, help me out. What? Y you didn't help me out right away? Uh, I thought we were friends. Well, you let me down. You weren't there for me. I don't like that one at all. God, you weren't there for me. I just like the Good Friday. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? He was there for us. But it's not a peer relationship. It can be friendly. But the bottom line is, he's there and we're here. He's as big as all the universe and we're smaller than a grain of sand. He's willing by his mercy to extend the hand of friendship, but we're not peers. If you're angry or frustrated with God right now, it's because you've got a false identity of who he is. There's a fix for it. Dying. Now, don't go doing it right now, but uh, you know why? So many people, I think, are going to enter eternity. I pray it's not me. I, I pray it often. And in return, oh, I'm kind of frustrated. How are you doing? Well, discouraged. I thought this was going to work out. That was going to work out. This is bad. This is bad. I thought, I, I thought God was just going to make life better. And, and you die and you enter eternity. You're going to go up to 
Jesus sitting on the throne of the universe, vibrating with a rainbow of every color, thunder and lightning, and the whole universe emanating from him, and billions of angels crying, holy, 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 and you're going to go up there and stop them and say, hey, wait, stop the song. i got to talk to God about a few things. How many of you know that's not going to happen? You're going to be on your face going, oh, God, I made it. Oh, my God, thank God. Yes, I'm here. And the first thing will be like, what was I thinking? He's God. He's not responsible to make my life wonderful. I'm responsible to make his life worshipped for what he is worth. The word worship means giving him worth. And the book of Hebrews' argument over and over and over is whatever it is you're being asked to sacrifice, he's worth it all. He's worth your sacrifice of pleasure. He's worth every time that you say no to a pleasure because you know that God's moral character doesn't agree with it. You say, well, I no, I'm going to say no to that. I want to, but I'm not going to. Every time you sacrifice it, he's worth that sacrifice. Every dollar you put in offer, oh, I'm not going to give 10%. Well, don't, but he's worth 110%. Every convenience you give up, every Sunday morning you come here to serve early, everything you do, every time you forgive somebody that's hurt your feelings and you don't feel like it, he's worth it all. And every time you refuse to do it, it's because you've diminished how big he really is. He's not our peers, friends. He is God Almighty. And this Jesus who burst out of that grave left us with that exclamation point. He is God. Let me read this scripture as we close, as we think of who Jesus really is. This scripture is in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And as we read Colossians chapter 1, it is another description of who Jesus is with an encouragement for us. Read from chapter 1 and verse 15. This is all about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed, everyone say if indeed, that's the argument at the conclusion of Hebrews. After all that he is, hold fast your profession. Don't give it up. Don't let Nero, don't let Claudius, don't let your friends, don't let the loss of something that you care about, don't let your hurt feelings or any other thing diminish who Jesus is. If indeed 
you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you stand with me this morning? If indeed you hold fast the profession of your faith. The most important thing about your life is not how good you are at something, your family history, your skills, your relationship, your possessions, or your achievements. The most important thing about your life is what do you say about Jesus Christ? When you confess that Jesus is God, you are elevated to his position. When you deny that he is God, you are brought low to the basest level of human darkness. Professing Jesus, you are God, elevates you to that level. Denying Jesus lowers us to the basest of human experience. It doesn't make us God, but it lifts us from ourself to the place where all that he's done can become real in our lives. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast our confession of our faith, our hope, without wavering, without wavering. And even when Nero comes, even when the soldier comes, even when it's time to write out the check, when it's time to forgive, when it's time to leave a party, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we profess today you are God. And we ask you today to help the scales and the fog that clouds our mind and vision of who you are to fall away so we'll see you as you are. And we pray for all of us here. We need your help so that when we're tempted to fade back into what we used to be, we will quickly run to you to become what you want us to be. We ask your help in Jesus' name. With every head bowed today, I want to ask you, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to forgive my sins and, and to cleanse me and to prepare me to be in heaven with him forever. And, and I want to make that choice to put my life in his hands today. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me if that describes you. And would you say yes to that by simply raising your hand. You before God. Thank you this morning. Others saying yes. This is me. This isn't for me to see. It doesn't matter who sees it. It's a profession of your faith. But this, if this is you, yes, I want Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer together for those that raise their hands for all the rest of us. Remember, profess who God is over your life. Don't just talk about your problems. Let God elevate you to where he wants you to be. Together, I'm going to ask you to all join in this prayer, especially if you raise your hand saying, I want more of Jesus in my life. I want him to be my savior. Would you pray this prayer after me, please? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on a cross to take away my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive all my sins.
and make me God's child. I give you all that I am for now and forever. Amen. Now, Father, bless these who prayed especially. Bless everyone who's come today and use us as we go our way professing our faith faithful to the end in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. You may go ahead and be dismissed. If you would like prayer for something, we'll have people at our altar who would love to pray for you. Please come forward.